0: It's the cold beer surf club. We met back in the day through Greg Teal. Yes. Because you had just started your podcast. Yes. And I yeah, did it with yeah, yeah. you. So it's kind of serendipitous that here we are. Yeah. And you're the first victim of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you for having me on. Of course. Yeah, it's right. Thanks for coming. I'm in the hot seat. I always say I love being a guest on somebody else's show. Cause I don't have to do any preparation, you know? Yeah. Just come in and answer
0: questions. Well, talk. I feel like I probably didn't need too much prep cause I at least knew, <laughs> knew you enough to feel
1: comfortable sitting here
0: and hanging out, but no, yeah. thank you for coming. But yeah, it's funny. So you're a pro pro podcaster.
1: Oh yeah. I'm a, I'm a, an elder statesman of, <laughs> yeah. of the scene <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But no,
0: I mean, I, I'm stoked. Chris this is going to be fun, but I, I think maybe, We're both from Santa Barbara. I don't know if everyone knows that. I didn't know that about you for a pretty long time. Yeah. And then, so I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about just kind of growing up there and what the music scene was like and, you know, see if there's any kind of synonyms with the surfing scene. But yeah, Yeah. I really want to hear about your take on like the music scene in Santa Barbara because I feel like it's pretty weak sauce now, but I feel like Mm. when you grew up, it wasn't as much.
1: It was really good. I mean, honestly, it was better. Then I realized at the time Um, and going way back to before I was even a musician, like I, I have two older brothers who um, were already like had great record collections and we're just like in our house for whatever reason, like we were just obsessed with music in the way that people are obsessed with sports or whatever. It was just kind of like everything, you know? Um, And, and my brothers, by the time I was old enough to, you know, be sort of like, aware of anything had like, you know, tons of great records. And I just, my earliest memories, you're just kind of looking through their record collections. And, and I have this, this kind of image of Santa Barbara when, when I was real little, just like in the seventies of just, you know, like the stone, some girls records like that, just kind of being on at everybody's house and everybody's parents were kind of shaggy and, you know, smoking (laughs) pot. And it was like, it was at that time, you know, and there was a lot of music around, you know, what, whatever it was. And, um, But then when I got a little older and started playing and started going to shows and then playing in bands, I mean, there was just, it just seemed like all my friends had bands. So there was just so many, there were so many options to see live music. You just were at gigs all the time. And it wasn't like fancy gigs. It was like Mm -hmm. keg parties. And, and, you know, you'd go, uh, go out to Ivy and, you know, somebody would be playing in a carport or something like that. Or, you know, your friends would have a, a kegger at their house and, and, and your other friends' bands would be playing. So there was just a lot of that. And, and then my band that, that I, I was in a lot of different bands in, in high school and stuff, but um, we just kind of worked our way up through that, like playing, playing parties and random stuff and the Red Barn. I don't know if you ever went to the Red Barn. That was probably maybe a little before your time, but the Red Barn so- was like a venue out in Isla Vista that you could rent from the city. And there was just shows there like pretty much all the time, you know, every weekend or whatever. So yeah. there was that kind of stuff. And then little by little, we would get a gig at a, in a bar and a gig at like, what was it called, Oscars, or there was Club Iguana, and there was Carnival. And there, so there was like all these people kind of in our age range, like in high school. And then there was sort of the next tier up. And at a certain point I started playing with, with in a band called Rat Pack, with like Matt Rat and Sean Murphy and, and, and Alpo Duncan. And they were all maybe like three or four or five years older than me. So they were sort of at that next age level. And then there was sort of the group that was a little beyond that, you know, That and there were a lot of really good players around. Like when we were kids, we thought they were all square or whatever, because we were going to shows in L.A. and, you know, going to see Poison and gun, L.A. Guns or what, you know, that kind of stuff like Sick, that was like, yeah. this is like would have been in like the mid 80s or whatever. Yeah. And from that point on, like pretty much from like eighth or ninth grade, like I was so just had this like fixation that I am going to get through high school and move to LA and it's going to be rock and roll and I'm going to go off and just, you know, chase that thing down. Um, That I think I didn't, like, I definitely wasn't like in the moment and appreciating how great things were locally. You know what I mean? How great that, that sort of like that scene was to just, go out and fall on your face and figure out how to, how to be a band. I'll I'll tell you like years ago, we, we put together a a Foo Fighter documentary. And so when we were working on that, I went and tracked down all the sort of video footage that I could find of my high school bands. And it's, and I had a band called the lost kittens with my friends and we had a lot of different versions of that band with a lot of different people. But I found, my first gig video of it, ninth grade talent show, and then another gig we did at like Oscars and then a gig we did right before we moved to LA. And the progression, it's maybe over the course of like four years or something. And it's like the first ninth grade talent show, it's just unlistenable. It's like it's just noise. And we're trying to play some kiss songs or whatever. And you can't even kind of tell <laughs> what it is. And then it's like a year later and it's like it's you could kind of recognize some songs, but it's it's pretty stiff and and janky. And then by the end of it, it's like we we're kind of playing for real, you know, and the arrangements are crazy and it's like a 5-minute guitar solo in every song and all all that kind of stuff. Um
0: all the fun stuff.
1: Right, which is kind of like <laughs> of of the era, you know, but um but you could really see how how we had developed really quickly, you know, over the course of a few years just just like, you know, just doing it all the time. Um and then we moved to LA and figured out that that whole scene had like died by then but and but we were just far enough away to sort of not realize that yeah know? that's crazy like that's a good thing about Santa Barbara I feel like growing up there you're like just far enough away from LA or any you know big uh, metropolitan area that that it feels like a small town when you're living in it and you sort of you know you're just a little removed so you can just kind of just grow and, you know, undisturbed and with, with your friends and just kind of in, in that little incubator up there. Totally. yeah,
0: kind of a little festering yeah, scene up there. Totally. Huh? That's yeah. crazy. I mean, it, growing up when I grew up, I didn't feel like there was any sort of music. I mean, I had a few friends who played in bands, um, but not, and they were good too, but there wasn't really like they play a little house party or something, but there wasn't, it wasn't really consistently. I felt like every time something would start going, some wheels would fly off or that place that they could play and party was no longer right. something there. So it never really got rolling. And I guess I feel like music's changed so much too. I mean, since you grew up prior to now, it's like DJs yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like people who want to listen to rock and roll or blues or country or punk rock is, you know, it seems like it's a bit of a dying breed. But I feel like maybe now it's kind of making a little bit of a resurgence.
1: It seems like the 90s is making a resurgence right now. Yeah, but it's interesting. I always feel like, there must be a scene somewhere of something I just don't know about because I'm yeah. too old. You know what I mean? Like, there's got to be some version of that for kids somewhere. And I'm just not hip to it. And maybe it's like you said. Maybe it's like DJs or something. I don't know. I know. It is interesting, though. like Coming out of like um, that time in the 80s, I mean, you had you think of all the great bands that that came out of Santa Barbara were connected to Santa Barbara, like Lagwagon came out of that. And all those guys were in different bands and then it kind of came together as Lagwagon and went on to, to to be the band that they've been. Like, you know, you had like Toad the Wet Sprocket came out of that time, um, who, like Dishwalla, Summer Camp, like so many, Nerf Herder, like all these bands that that went on to, to, to make, Tons of records and tour the world and do the you know and do it for real like it's pretty it's pretty great it like it's it pretty well it makes me happy like that most of my friends from from those days are still making music and still playing and and still in it you know oh,
0: yeah, so when you were growing up in Santa Barbara and musically like what did you know that that was what you wanted to do from a really young age
1: not really it's like i' i there was a a like my friend. I had a couple friends of mine that lived up there that were the first people I ever played music with. And they moved down to L.A. um, like halfway through eighth grade. And I went down and visited them that summer in L.A. And I'd already been going to shows, like coming down to, to go to shows for a little while. And so sort of seeing that like club scene and going to shows like the Troubadour and the country club and the whiskey and the Roxy and all that sort of stuff. And I was like into it just as a fan, but I could barely play guitar at that point. So I wasn't thinking about like, this is something that I was going to do. And my brothers were really good. And I think at that age, I kind of had that thing of like, you know, I'm never going to be, good enough to do it. Like they are that kind of feeling, you know? And what was
0: that? Like what age kind of were you at that point?
1: Like, yeah, like, like eighth grade. So whatever that is like around 13, 14, something like that. But there's that summer between eighth and ninth grade. I always think of that as like the time that I, it kind of clicked for me. I came down to visit my friends and I just remember walking all over Melrose and like going into all those funky shops like aardvarks and Renee's and, and retail slut and all that long hair rocks are not long hair rocks, but um, whatever, you know, just all those crazy shops that used to be on, on Melrose and picking up like Bam magazine and their flyers for all these bands. And it just was this, it just seemed really exciting. Was just this rock and roll scene that was just like kicking off right about then. Um, and I remember thinking like, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And and we formulated this plan like, OK, you go back to Santa Barbara and you take guitar lessons from Steve Miles and fancy music and he's going to teach you how to play like, you know, for real. And and I totally went home and did that, like signed up, took took guitar lessons <laughs> from Steve Miles and he taught me how to play lead guitar. And and it was just off to the races, man. It was like Sick. that. And that's when when I really it's but it's funny that you think about it, maybe there's a parallel for you, you know, coming up in surfing like. I was obsessed with the idea of making it, but you don't know what the fuck that means when you're 14. You don't know what that really looks like. You have this kind of this MTV image of, I, like I, I just I don't even know what it was that I imagined, like being on a big stage and you know, drinking champagne with beautiful <laughs> girls and driving a Lamborghini. I don't like it, just all that kooky stuff and. Yeah many years down the road when you finally kind of get some success, it just is, it's just doesn't look like that at all. I mean, playing on a big stage, I guess that, but the rest of it, not so much.
0: Yeah. I guess for me surfing growing up, I just, I was so into it and all I wanted to do was surf. So I never, uh, there was not really a point where I was like, Oh, I want to be a pro surfer. It was more almost, I want to figure out how I can do this for a job so that I don't have to do anything else right? <laughs> and that transition into like, okay, well that's contest and being a pro surfer. And right. I didn't like Sam, I didn't know what that was going to look like for a long time. You know,
1: it's interesting cause in Santa Barbara, and maybe this is a key difference with surfing. You have like the surf industry is there like, you know, especially with like, like some, like a company like channel islands. Um, do you have, like, I always felt like I had to leave. Like that I, and I wanted to, I just wanted to get out and see the world. And obviously you had to, you know, you've had to travel a ton in, in your surfing career, but like, did you have that, that same feeling of like, I have to leave here to to go do the thing for real that I want to do? Or were you kind of like connected early, like with, um, with some of the people in the surf industry proper?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It's a good question. I'd say some of both because it was nice. I mean, to, Cause the surf industry, like the focus on the surf industry is probably more down here and like, you know, Southern California, San Clemente, Orange County. County. So that was way more of like the hype and the attention on like the next kids coming up like Kolohe and um, Andrew Doheny. I was kind of in the mix with those guys, but I was, since I was from Santa Barbara, no one really knew who I was or knew that I'd surfed all right or anything. Whereas they were already talking about those guys. These are the next guys, you know? So, I definitely felt like I needed to at some point get out of there to get more like, I guess, recognition or whatever, you know, to, to be more on the, the up and coming of the, of the surf scene. Uh, but luckily there's been I think there was a map already in Santa Barbara of like, you know, Bobby, Tom, Dane was, you know, in there, and, you know, Channel Island, Sex Wax. Um, Matt Moore, you know, there was like enough of this surf history there to where it was like, oh, good surfers could come from here. Right. So when I, when I was a little bit older and I, this was like, okay, I want to, you know, I think I want to start doing contests and stuff. Then it was like, all right, I got to go down and you had to kind of prove yourself in the, the amateur contest down here, Mm. uh, Orange County and stuff and surf against the best guys. So it was definitely a smaller pool kind of North of like, you know, maybe Ventura and North, it was a smaller pool. Whereas there's more good kids down here. Right. But I never really had that feeling. I've always been a homebody. So I was never someone who's like, I got to get out of here. I was like, I don't really want to leave Rincon to go <laughs> down and surf Huntington, you know? Right, right. So that was kind of a bit of a struggle for me, really, especially as I got older and I was like, oh, I got to leave home to go surf crappy waves. But this, it's so good here. The surf scene's rad. All my friends and the waves are good. And I love surfing here. But I kind of had to, I had to at one point decide, like, okay, I'm going to commit to, time away from home to make this dream come true.
1: When, when you first were on the tour in the earlier years, would you go home between contests or do you have to with like sponsor commitments? Are you going from a contest in Australia to a boat trip somewhere to do photos to some other thing? Like, are you like, when, when you go out, are you gone for most of that season?
0: Um, It was always a little different when I was doing the QS and like really, and still doing a lot of free surf trips and like filming for movies and stuff. And that was when the industry was a lot more was happening. So there was more obligations for like fun stuff. It was what I wanted to be doing. And
1: that's one of the big parallels with, with music and surfing. I think nowadays is the way that bands or artists and surfers have to be their own like content generating Brands or what, you know, like totally. it wasn't like that back in the day. I don't, I don't think it was like that when you first no. became a pro, right?
0: No, I mean, I rode for Hurley and it was like, okay, cool. You're going to do this Hurley thing and we're going to take you here and you're going to do this. It was much more like driven by the brands and the magazines right. and then someone who was making a surf movie maybe. So, yeah, I would be juggling like all that stuff and kind of going, but I would always try to come home when I could versus, yeah, I mean, I'm sure back in the day it was more like, Okay. You're in this huge band and you're just kind of like, I'm along for the ride. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Like it was really like when I was in no use for a name before Foo Fighters, like when we would, those tours would be much, much longer. Um, you'd be out for a much longer time than like, say what we do on the Foo Fighters now. Like, you know, we're all middle-aged and married and have kids and stuff. So like at a certain point in our, touring like that evolved to be more family friendly. You know what I mean? But when you're young, like when I first started touring, I I didn't want to go home. I was like, I just, I would be so, it was like summer camp was over when the tour ended. You know what I mean? It's like, I can be out there playing shows and getting free beer and, you know, traveling the world or I can go home and sit in my apartment. You know what I mean? Not that you're really just sitting around in your apartment, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I just loved it. I was so into, uh, into, into, I just wanted to be on the road so bad because, like, I was also like, I felt like in my immediate friend group, like, my other friends were making records and hitting the road before me. So I felt that, like, 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 I almost felt like I got to it a little late. You know, and I was, like, wanted to make up for lost time. catch up? Yeah, because I would see, like, Joey from Lagwagon or my friend Joseph that was in a band called Wax, and they'd be, like, coming back from, you know, Joey would come back from Europe and be talking about, like, how these crazy big shows over there in Germany and stuff, and I'd just be like, whoa, what is that like? I want to do that so bad, you know? Uh, just be green with envy, you yeah, know? That yeah. sounds
0: so fun. So what was... Like, what age were you when you kind of got to your first major tour? So I mean, I'm sure there's all, like, the evolution, right? I mean, you're at one point probably in a van just running up and down any gigs you could get in California or something, right? Yeah,
1: oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, when, when I moved to L.A. when I was 18... Um, and played around LA for a while and never was in anything. It was never in a band that made records, you know, and then I moved up to San Francisco and, um, and got a job at fat records. And, and then that's how I joined new East for a name. And so that was the first time I ever went on tour was with, well, I had gone on tour a little before that wrote for my friend's band for one month long. Trip and I loved every minute of it. And I wasn't even playing, I was just humping gear and driving the van and stuff, you know what I mean? But I just like we didn't travel when I was growing up, you know, like my family didn't really have any money and we didn't go anywhere. And, and you know, luckily we lived in paradise, so it was, it was fine. But I just had this, I had such a thirst for, I just wanted to see anywhere. So, like, just driving across the country, I didn't care where I was, you know, I'd go to Albuquerque, I'd be like, whoa, fucking Albuquerque, this is so rad, you know, no way. Um, So that first tour I ever did just roading, I was, I, I really got the bug. I just loved it. And then it was a few months later that I joined no use. And so I would have been about, I think I was still 23, maybe just before I turned 24 when I, when, when I joined that band.
0: And was that like straight full speed touring?
1: I mean, literally I, I joined, I think I auditioned for them on a Thursday and we left for tour on Monday no way. and drove the first show was in Atlanta. So we drove across the country and me and Tony, the singer just sat in the van, like sort of reviewing the songs. Cause I had, you know, it, it was literally the, like, like the exact same scenario with when I joined Foo Fighters, like joined a band with a bunch of people I didn't know and had to learn like, you know, 25 songs or so, um, at real fast and just go hit the road. And so just kind of did it by, by doing it, um, which was pretty much mirrored the Foo Fighters. You know, I auditioned a couple times for foos sort of officially got the gig on a Sunday, did my first rehearsal the next day. We rehearsed that week, did a gig, I want to say on the Thursday or Friday or something like that, you know, and then left for tour that Monday and it was Crazy. just kind of off to the races, you know,
0: is it, weird like at that point, are you like, Oh my God, this is no use for a name. Like I love this band. Like are you you know, or is it just like, oh yeah, this is another this is oh my like man. an opportunity, you know, you know what I mean? It was,
1: it was like dream come true. Like okay. like like right where I wanted to be in the right in the in that would to me like that was like my the scene that I was like into, you know, for us, that's
0: like qualifying for the CT. You're like, all right, this is what I've been wanting to do my whole life. It's on.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. Cause you know, you think about it, like music had evolved a lot in those years. Like by the time I moved to LA at the beginning of 90, like the whole kind of like rock and roll scene was pretty much cashed out. And this new sort of alt rock thing was bubbling up, but hadn't quite, you know, like come to be what it, you know, it wasn't, it was just before like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and all that stuff had Blew up, Mm. so it was this sort of like weird in betweener moment where you didn't really know what was happening, and the scene was pretty dead. And because when I was a kid going to shows in L.A., like you could see bands without a record deal be packed and be sold out, and you know there was like a it was a real buzz around that world back then, and it was just totally gone by the time I I moved to L.A. And there were all these bands around that were kind of like a hybrid of like Jane's Addiction meets the Chili Peppers. That was kind of the thing that was happening around L.A. at that time, but nobody really like, like just was like, there was no, I don't It's weird when a scene dies. I don't know where, it got, where the people go. You know what I mean? Cause you go from like all the gigs are just packed out to like, none of the gigs seem to be packed out at that point. And it, it was just weird. Things were evolving and my tastes were evolving. And I, you know, over the years I had gotten more and more into like bad religion and no effects and all that, that kind of thing was like, was taking flight. You know, mm-hmm. and so by the time I joined No Use in '95, like that scene was just in full swing. It was like at its apex, you know, um, with like Lagwagon and Good Riddance and 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 all the bands of Fat Records and Epitaph and all all that that stuff was just was just booming, you know. Um, and it was mm-hmm. just rad. It just felt like I mean, I was so stoked to to get to go do it for real. You know, to go play. It's so different as a player. I'm sure it's the same as surfing. Like when you're when you're working away at it but you're not in a touring thing you know you're rehearsing with your band and you have a gig every now and again and it seems like you're doing it all the I time and maybe to some extent you are but it's not the same thing as night after night after night playing with at that level of intensity and especially that scene was like it was athletic you're jumping around, you're sweating and it's a little packed thing and you're playing. And I used to play really aggressive and my hands would be all cut up and you'd be bleeding. It'd just be like, it was just gnarly and it, it just, it takes you to, a, to new levels quickly, you know, just that day in and day out um, thing of it. So yeah, I, I just couldn't have been happier. Oh, yeah. Stoked. Yeah. Yeah
0: that's cool. I could, I mean, I think surfing wise it's relatable because when I w- got on the tour, it's all of a sudden you're with the best, the best of the best of the best right? and you're surfing with them every day. And then you have to surf a heat against them. So you're just constantly trying to get better, keep up or level yourself up, you know, whereas now that I'm not competing, like I still surf all the time, but it is, it feels so different what, to paddle out at home. And you're like, Oh yeah, cool. Like maybe there's a couple of people out. Maybe there's, no one out or whatever and you're surfing for yourself and it's really nice but i definitely that feeling of like always going out and being amidst like the best surfers around is it's pretty crazy and you have to it keeps you so sharp right got and fired that. up to keep getting better
1: i remember like going out when we like we toured with like you know like no effects or something or if you go do the warp tour and you'd see how all the other bands that were bigger than your band did it and you just, even just some of like the nuts and bolts stuff of how they tour, you know, oh, I got to get a road case for my amp and, <laughs> oh, you know, oh shit, I got to get a tuner, you know, like or you got to set up your guitar, like all those little, little tricks of it. You know what I mean? That like, you just, it's like the difference between being a, I don't, know, I guess it's like that, that sort of like the professionalism or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. It's interesting.
0: And just having to be on it night after night.
2: All right, we are back, and we have a very special guest with us today. There's only one winner each and every year. you got eight guys,
0: right? Eight guys that are in their prime, and it's like, I think rivalries will get created, hopefully.
2: We are the next generation, and we're pushing, and I mean, we're kind of naive if we didn't know. Everyone's saying it, everyone's talking about it.
1: Go ahead, because you know we love this guy. He deserves it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ethan Ewing, my God. He was so strong and so sharp, he, he took down Zhao. he overpowered Griffin, and I think that first match with Felipe, it's probably the heat of the year, if not yes. more. So now I can say I'm fully addicted to that feeling of being in a grand final moment and knowing everything's on the line, and can you do it? I'm totally addicted to it, and that's why I want more i'm dave prodan host of the world surf league's premier podcast the lineup listen to the lineup with dave prodan wherever you get your podcasts
0: i mean what's that i always wonder when i when i watch a show and like that energy that's on the stage and that we feel as the audience too and like you felt at a show or i'm sure when you're up there like playing and then and then what i'm always like how did, when you walk off the stage, then what? Right. I'm like, how do you just, <laughs> I think you just uh. <laughs> explained
1: why musicians are such fuck ups <laughs> and surfers too. Cause yeah. that's exactly it. Like, I mean, God, that's, that's a, that's a deep subject right there. You just, you know, you keep chasing that feeling, a feeling and that's, I mean, you know, like we talked about a little bit before we started, like, you know, I've been sober for a long time and, Touring was very different when I was younger because of exactly that because you'd be partying before the show You'd party during the show then after the show you're you that's then it really ramps up And then the next day you feel like shit all day and then it's like that thing of when the show You know about an hour before the show Maybe you crack a beer and like, you know You, you start to get in the thing and then you play the show and it's exactly that you're like, And you're back and then you you know rinse, repeat. You just do that, you totally. know, for, uh, for six weeks straight or whatever. And then you come home you're like, ah, oh. done. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I know it is. I feel, I mean, surfing's changed so much since, I mean, I've been doing it. And even before I'd imagined before I was on tour, but I, I guess I can relate a little bit. It just seems like music. It's, it's so much more condensed into like the concert and that night. And then where surfing I guess It's spread out a little bit more, but yeah. it is I, like, I remember, coming home, you know, you get done with the event and it's like, oh, cool. Like you're, it's been such an adrenaline, you know, maybe you did well. If you do shitty, it's like, uh, it's not as cool, but like when you do well or the waves are good and like this energy and this feeling, and then you all go out and you party and then it's like, okay, afterwards, just like done the adrenal burn from like the week of physically and mentally. And then like, you know, maybe a night or two of partying. And then I remember sometimes coming home and just being like, what do I do now? Right. I get back to Santa Barbara and like, there's no surf in the summertime. We sit around I'm bored. Like yeah. nobody's high fiving ha- me right like, now. Where I don't have a real. Go? I don't have a real job. Like what, <laughs> right. what I, everyone else yeah. is doing shit and working. And like, so what do I do now? You know. Yeah. And, well, it's, uh,
1: it is a funny thing. Like like, it's. I'm sure it's the same on on the surf tour as it is like on a rock and roll tour. Like, the night that you're in town, that's the circus is in town, and that's everybody that comes out to the show. That's their night to go, fucking cut loose you know and you're traveling and you're and you know you wind up if you're doing it for a long time you have friends everywhere you go and so that becomes you know that's the thing it's like that's everybody's night to to go for it but for you that's every night yeah you know what i mean
0: oh i mean we would go to like you know the us we go down to the us open it's just like a raging party for a week you know yeah. and there's girls and everything you know a different thing every night and you can yeah. go to any of them for free and drink for free and whatever but like, oh, I got to heat the next day. I probably shouldn't do this. You know, whereas I think back in the day everyone was just like, no, we're just gonna we're gonna go for it all week. Yeah. And you know, I think now it's like the level of serving's gotten higher and everyone takes it more professionally. So everyone sort of like went more that way because you kind of had to. Right. It's pretty right. hard to show up and serve a heat hungover when someone else isn't and they're gonna smoke you. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always uh, I always sort of tripped on that because you go like or you go to France and there's all these people that have come To party and watch the event for a week and you like go out to dinner like whoa like that looks pretty fun over there so it definitely took a certain level of uh self-control yeah and it's hard
1: when you're young because you don't really have any self-control yeah and you're out there and it's it's all new and you haven't learned those lessons yet i can't serve my heat very well if i'm hung over
0: you just got to learn that the hard way you know totally i think that for me and like going home and kind of feeling bored that led me to get into other things because right. I was like, okay, like I can't surf all, it's flat in Santa Barbara a lot. Right. I don't want to sit around bored, you know? Yeah. So I got into playing guitar and, you know, fishing and being on the ocean. Like I was always kind of hungry for other interests because I couldn't surf all the time. Right. And almost, well, you know, what like,
1: I really want to talk to you about though is your garden. Oh, yeah, <laughs> well, That was kind of the same thing. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we built a COVID garden in my yard, not realizing my yard just does not get, um, any sun. Oh yeah. Apparently you need sun to grow things. Totally. So I've had some really anemic gardens in the last few years, but I look at your garden on your Instagram. I'm like, Oh my God, how's he doing that? It's
0: amazing. (laughs) I grew up my grandma garden and my mom garden. So it was kind of a family thing always for us Uh, as kids. Like we lived on a, on a little bit of land, just like, you know, a couple acres. Yeah. And so we always had room for a garden and my grandma and mom were all into it. So, when I was a kid, I was all into gardening and growing all this stuff, and then yeah. that didn't seem too cool when I was, you know, like young know, and surfing and traveling. And then I I got to a point where I'd come home and I was like, I need something to do, and all my friends were working on these farms, and they actually all played music. That was like my group of friends that played in bands and played music. Oh, really? We're kind of like living and working on these farms and all playing music. So that kind of I was playing with them a bit, and then they were all. And I was like, oh, I should start the garden again. So that kind of got me fired back up on garden. So,
1: do you have like, are you, do you have like garden skills now? I'm assuming you're not just like throwing some seeds in the ground and letting it go wild. Like, are you in there cultivating the land and all, all that sort of thing? Yeah, I don't do too much. I think we're lucky. We have good soil. And then I bury all my fish
0: carcasses in the garden. Uh, and that's like an old Chumash trick. Right. It's like natural, you know, it's fertilizer. It yeah. all breaks down and super good for the plants. Um, that's about it. I don't know, like a little bit of cover crop or, um, I'd ask them just like, Oh, what do I do? Like, do I mulch and keep the weeds down? And Oh yeah, that holds more moisture. So I'd just ask them questions. Interesting. I had it pretty easy. Yeah. But I think we just have a good, pretty good climate too.
1: Yeah. That's fun. I had a funny thing where, like I said, I've had some very anemic gardens in the last few years. And so this year I, um, planted, I was like, I'm just going to plant some flowers. I can't really grow any food here. It just always sucks when it comes up, because it doesn't get enough sun, and the tomatoes are small and not very tasty, and all that that sort of thing. So I just put a bunch of flowers in there, and they're all starting to come in, and it was starting to look good. And our landscaper showed up one day and thought they were weeds and cleared the whole thing out. So I came home one day, and my garden beds were completely empty. I was like, what the? (laughs) What just happened? They're like, oh, we thought they were weeds. Oh, no. It's finally working. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. Um, I
0: was going to ask you because I wanted to know when you got into surfing. And I was wondering if, almost for you, like surfing was similar to kind of those other things I mentioned
1: for me, where it was like I needed something else to do. Yeah. It's funny. And it's, 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 it's one of, I don't have a lot of like regrets in life, but this is definitely one of them. If I have any, it's that I didn't get into surfing younger. I did not really start surfing until I was in my twenties, and I and I look back on my childhood and I don't even understand it because I grew up at the fricking beach, like and I grew up boogie boarding and body surfing and I had friends that surfed and I remember being in high school and my friends going like, dude, just take the board out, like go get away and be like, mm. and I, I I don't know why I didn't, but I didn't start surfing until I was like in my mid twenties. Actually, when I was in no use for name. First time I ever think I really surfed was our drummer, Rory, surfs, and he took me out up in Santa Cruz once. And I was living in San Francisco, and so I went and bought a longboard and went down to, um, and surfed Pacifica once or twice with, uh, with Chris Rest from, uh, from Lagwagon, who was in RKL back in the day. Um, and it was, I'm sure you've surfed up there, but it was so cold, and I had this ratty old wetsuit on with holes in it that I was like, this is not very fun. <laughs> it's just too cold for me, um, and uh, and so I left that board. I moved to New York, and I left that board at my brother's apartment down here in LA. My brother Scott. And every time I would come through LA, I would go grab it and go just try to figure out how to surf. You know, and I was like, I mean, I didn't know anything. I didn't know like about how tides worked and affected. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that like some days the swells one to two and some days it's four to six, you know, like I just wasn't thinking about any of that stuff. And I would just go to like Manhattan beach or, you know, and County line. And one day it'd be great. And I'm like, Oh my God, that was the funnest thing. I'd come back the next day. There'd be no waves. I'd be, What happened? This was so good yesterday. And, and just sort of through, uh, just, just, just trial and error. And then touring, you know, if we'd be in like Australia or Hawaii or somewhere that, that there'd be waves, I'd just go surf and little by little just sort of got to know, people and you know it is when you get into something you sort of like have that like you know that like you're almost too stoked about it you know what i mean you just want you just want to learn everything about it you know i kind of went through that like probably you know 10 years later than everybody else did or or something you know what i mean and and then um and just started to figure out which of my friends surfed and sort of gravitate to them and, and just just started surfing a ton you know and Um, and it's just, I don't know. It's, 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 there's, there are obviously a lot of parallels there between music and surfing, but for me, they're so disconnected because surfing is like, um, it's just not something I have any ambition with. It's just something that I just enjoy, you know? And I like the I like being sort of cut off from the world out in the water and I don't wear an Apple watch and I don't want to get fucking texts or you know, when when I'm out there and I love that about surfing where it's like you know, music is is obviously my first love and I and, and I love it, but it's but it's work and it's ego and it's money and it's you know it's it's got all that stuff kinda tied into it for me, you know? I don't mean that in a bad way, but that's just the reality. That's like what I do. Um but man, yeah, it's like you were saying about needing something in your life that sort of gets you just some other thing to sort of free yourself with. I mean, it's, it's, it's the best thing, you know, like on tour when you can have those days on tour and, and I've done them in a small way and I've done them in a big way. Like, um, where you like just being in Australia on tour, like where you're surfing and playing shows and sort of bouncing between that. It really, it just puts you in such a good, like, it just, I don't know. It just makes you just gets you right. I don't know. You know, there's just that thing about the ocean. It's like somehow it just kind of heals. It just kind of puts everything together, you know? Like those days for me, like there was, there was, uh, I mean, there's a bunch of days down in Australia, but there was the last show we played in Brisbane. I went and surfed with, you probably know Jay Phillips. Mm -hmm. Um, Went and surfed with Jay at Rainbow Bay, right there, right next to Snapper. And just like had like the, just the funnest day. And you're just like sunbaked and surfed out and then took a little nap on the way to the show and then get to the show and take a shower and play the, play the gig. And it's just like, it's just perfect. Like I just, I just felt like I was just, you know, smiling from ear to ear the whole time. Just cause, cause, just cause of that, you know,
0: that sounds like a damn cool day. Yeah. But <laughs> well, I do
1: that in little ways too. Like with my, with my solo thing, you know, like we played up in half moon Bay not too long ago and just get some fun waves and the promoters all tied into the surf world up there and, and when the when those two things can overlap and like a and in that way, it's it's great. Yeah, kind of the best. Those cool. are the best days on tour.
0: Well, even just recently, when you played Santa Barbara. Uh, yes. And you were like texting me, you're like, oh, where are you surfing? And I'm like, dude, he's got like playing the bowl tonight. is not <laughs> right, like, right. I don't know. You know, yeah. you're like, we're, we're, let's yeah. go surf. Was, How good was that day, yeah. by
1: the way? And I had driven up the day before and I and I went and surfed Rincon on the way up. And it was just like one of those fun little days, one that crowded. I think the swell was maybe just starting to fill in. It was good. And you could get waves. And then like that, that day that we surfed, it was like, you know, Bobby Martinez, there. You and your brother are there. It was like the, everything just lined up. You know, it's just like, it's it's funny those those kind of days. And there, are, you know, I've had a few of them. It's like you're watching a surf movie, you know, a surf edit in <laughs> in real time, watching all you guys do your thing. You know, it's it's exciting. It's inspiring. You know, yeah,
0: cool. It was a fun day. I got to surf with you and Bobby and my brother, and then go yeah. watch you guys play the ball. Yeah, that was yeah. so fun
1: the whole that whole day and then having like you know tom Curran come down and everything i have that great picture from backstage i was like man that is such, look at that lineup man that's that is strong generational 805 surf action right there you know yeah that was really cool it must be
0: wild i mean i know you told me you guys played i'm going like off of i wanted to ask you something else but since we're talking about it you guys have played the bowl before as food fighters right but We'd, it's
1: been a while it has been a while and and um the only time I actually saw the Foo Fighters there before I was in the band. Oh no way! Um, on the first album tour, they played the Bowl with Ween and Jawbreaker were the the support band. Sick. So yeah, um, so that was the that was, yeah that was the the that was the second time I ever saw them. But um, and then years later, when I was in the band, we played around. I want to say like 2006 when we did some. Uh, we were doing kind of an acoustic tour. And so it wasn't a regular show. It was like a, a big expanded band and mellow and sort of mellow versions of, of all the songs. It was really fun. It was great, but it was a different kind of energy. You know, it wasn't that like, you know, it wasn't that thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but it was great. And, uh, and yeah, and I didn't, honestly, I never thought we were going to play the bowl again. Um, just cause, you know, we usually just play LA and then you play San Francisco and, and, and don't hit the markets in between. And, and, um, and I saw that gig pop up on my calendar cause we have like a band calendar and, um, it had popped up way earlier in the year and a friend of mine, um, Dave Hanasek, I don't know if you know Dave, um, I I he he's, he's, works at KJE you know, in, in town, okay. and he, maybe I heard about it from him, I think I heard about it from him, he called me and was like, dude, I heard you guys are playing the ball, I was like, what, I, I don't know anything about that, let me check, and I called our manager, and at that time it was being, it was a toss-up, it was either going to be there, or it was going to be like in Paso Robles or something, and I was like, come on, dude. It's hometown. We got to make this happen. And there was a there was a radius clause issue with um, one of the festivals we were playing. Like where if you play like a festival, you can't uh, play anywhere near it, you know, within a, whatever, the radius clause thing. Uh, and they were able to work it out. And I was so stoked. I mean, that was honestly like, that was like the best. That was like top five Foo Fighter gigs ever for me. Just, per- just like what a perfect night. You yeah.
0: Know? The, ball, the ball is epic. I mean, yeah. it must be just crazy going from playing because I mean, most of you guys are playing stadiums now. Right. I mean like, or like how many thousands shows. of seats, you yeah, know, some, like,
1: sometimes it's stadiums. Sometimes it's a lot of times it's festivals or yeah. arenas or sheds or, you know, they're all the, you know, it's, it's usually, yeah, like a lot bigger than that. So that's like a nice, it's funny to think of that as being like an intimate show, but it kind of is in its way, you know,
0: it feels intimate being yeah. in the crowd, but just to go home and play that show, like, yeah. I mean, all the way at the pretty much the peak of musical career must feel pretty rad. It felt pretty good. Yeah.
1: There's, I tell you the moment that there was, I mean, there's a lot of moments just like looking out in the crowd and seeing my friends and my family and all that stuff and having all my kids there and, and everything. But, um, Dave was talking about the, when we first met cause his band had played in Santa Barbara back in, in the 80s and, and Rat Pack, the band that I was in opened up and they actually spent the night at the drummer for Rat Pack's house that night. And, um, he was sort of talking about that and we're, I don't remember exactly what was being said, but right in that moment, I looked out in the crowd and kind of like up a ways in the seats. I saw a dude sitting there in an RKL t-shirt. I was like, that is so perfect right there. You know what I mean? Like Classic. only in Santa Barbara, are you going to see that. You yeah. Know? yeah. Do you get nervous
0: still ever going on stage for a gig or like at home like that? Do you feel any more,
1: Butterflies or anything? I'm at certain with certain things, you know, but it's more of like excitement, you know, less nerves and more excitement. Um, I thought I was going to be really stressed that day. And, I, and then on the day, I just wasn't.
0: Must have been the surf. It was the surf. <laughs> exactly.
1: Put me in the right frame of mind. Yeah. Now, um, the things that make me nervous, nervous are like when you're playing new songs. um, Especially if you have to like go play like on like a TV show or something you know it's really under the microscope, you can get away with a lot in a in a gig because it's loud you know and you've got volume and there's a lot of us on stage and and so you can you know and you you always make mistakes anyway and you just i don't it's just not we're not that kind of band that it's not about the perfection of it or whatever you know it's loose and it's sloppy but you know in certain things, especially like TV, that's when it's like, it's very under the microscope, you know? So, you know, and yeah. And you don't have that like live feeling thing to sort of blanket over the the looseness of it all.
0: Totally. I mean, I think... I love rock and roll because it's not perfect. And right. I feel like those are the things that make it rock and roll. Totally. If yeah. it's too perfect, it's like, yeah, I don't right. really like that anyways. <laughs> right. You know
1: what I mean? I mean, there's, there's a time and a place for that sort of thing, but we're not steely Dan, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, I wanted to circle back cause we were kind of talking about surfing then we went the other way, but I mean, it's so true every time, like I, even for me, like surfing's become my job. And so, yeah, yeah. there's other stuff like that I associate with that now especially being on tour and kind of like obligations and, you know, that stuff price similar, I guess, to what you said about music. It's like your first love, but then it becomes your job and your yeah. livelihood. So yeah, it naturally like collects baggage maybe, Yeah. but still no matter what for me, I always like, I would come home and I'd the best thing for me to do would be to go surf with my dad and my brother. Right. And just that headspace that it puts you in. And I do, I mean, I just think it's so hard to put into words what surfing, does. And like being, for me, it's just being in the ocean, really. Yeah. Like I could go, sometimes I'll be like, oh, the waves are flat and I won't surf for a week. And I'm kind of like, I start feeling kind of weird and like itchy. I get like a little bit agitated easier. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I just go for a paddle or I just go jump in the ocean. I'm like, oh my God, why haven't I been doing this every day? Totally.
1: And that's a funny thing too, is I feel like, especially with my schedule when we're touring a lot, because you'll have long stretches where you're not, you know, you're touring the Midwest or something where there is no surf option. Um, and then you come home for a week and there's no waves and you're busy and you're trying to catch up on stuff and you don't ever get to the beach. And then you leave again for two weeks and you can all of a sudden you can go, like, Fuck man, I haven't been in the ocean for like three months. It's been a minute, you know? And all of a sudden you feel kind of disconnected from it and all, and you and you realize like, Man, I'm not even like looking at surf line anymore. Like, you know, I'm not even like like it's it's weird with it how it can just I can get, it's it's this thing that I love so much, but I can get disconnected from it real quick in a weird way. And I almost have to like, it's like I have to make the effort to reconnect. And then every time you do, you're like, why am I not just doing this every single chance I get? You totally. know what I mean?
0: Well, maybe by the next time you do the Midwest, there'll be like eight wave pool stops along the oh, way dude, and you can tie it real. in. For <laughs> real,
1: for real. I mean, it's coming, right? Yeah, it yeah. seems
0: like it. I know you were down at, uh, we were talking before we started, um, at the Dubai, at the new Kelly yeah. pool in Dubai.
1: We surfed in the last couple of months. We surfed Waco, the new Kelly pool in, 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 Dubai and, um, and, uh, the urban surf in, in Melbourne. So we've just been, been hitting a bunch of That's them. And they're all different. They all have their like unique characteristics and everything. And yeah, it's been really fun. Heck but yeah. that, I mean, how amazing would that be if, if, you know, every, uh, 500 miles or so that some a town put one of those in.
0: Be pretty rad. We need like a Chris Shiflet wave pool music surf night.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. That'd yeah, be a pretty good fit up.
0: at the surf ranch up there. Come I on, know. I I'll tell you, they, I think yeah, that they come on, said Kelly, make it happen. At the one in, uh, <laughs>
1: in, uh, in Abu Dhabi, I think that they have some sort of uh, uh gig facility thing that they're building into it. Yeah. No way. So, yeah. do any of the other guys in the food surf? Uh, none of the other guys in the band although Nate did come to the to the um uh to the slater one in in, in Abu Dhabi with us and, and gave it a go he'll, he'll so, Nate's like uh like you know he he snowboards and his is mountain bikes and it's just generally like you know an, an outdoorsman so he'll he'll give it a paddle every now and again but it's not something that he that he does regularly but um there's one dude I, we, we always laugh about it. there's one dude on our crew my buddy Tim fly who you might know he's he's from Laguna. Sounds familiar. Um and he has worked with us for years. He grew up with Taylor and they were like best friends and he's a ripping surfer and um we have only ever surfed in wave pools together. In all the years that we've known each other, somehow we've never actually gotten into the ocean. And he's on our crew and so like on days when we're like have a day off in in Byron, they're like loading into the gig in Brisbane stuff like that. So it's like it just uh, over and over for like 15 years or something. It has never lined up that we surf in the ocean together, but we surfed like inland and we surfed Waco and like urban surfing and, and, and all these other ones. So it's, it's funny. Crazy. Yeah.
0: That's rad. At least you got one buddy
1: on tour. I know. Yeah.
0: Um, what's it like on touring now? I, I know you're telling me a little bit like it's way more family oriented, obviously. Like, do you all have kids and yeah. Yeah, so yeah. do you bring the family mostly? I mean, your kids uh, are like probably in high school
1: now. Yeah. It's funny. Cause now my kids are getting, getting pretty grown. Like my oldest yeah. is in college.
0: Oh damn. college. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so we bring them in mostly in the summertime, like a Foo Fighters summer tour, especially if it's like over in Europe tends to be the one that, cause we're always over there in the summers. And it's like summertime for festivals and, and stuff like that. And that seems to be the one that everybody brings their kids to, you know, nice. or if you go and like do like Saturday night live or something like, you know, everybody brings their families out for stuff cool. like that. Um, but yeah, we bring them out as, as much as we can. Nice. And then you know, the other side of that is we just don't, we're just not a way for big, long stretches, you know? Yeah, what is kind of like a normal run now for you? Normal is like a week or two. Oh, and that's sometimes, it. Yeah, and sometimes if we're if we're like around the West Coast, we might even hub. You know, we might even like fly to Denver and back, and San Francisco to back, and you know. And so you're like wind up coming home every night, like if like if if it works out, you know. Yeah. Um, but this last one, you know, was maybe like three weeks long. That was like a pretty long one. You know, like I got home. My wife was like, God, that felt like you were gone for a long time. I'm like, I know. It's kind of like old school. And that was down to <laughs> Australia? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. And do you guys, I mean,
0: that was, how many shows would that have been? Well,
1: I think it was, if if you throw in the Abu Dhabi show, it was, I think, six or seven. Okay. Something like that. Because yeah. in Australia, it's all the cities are so far apart, and you got to move the gear and then set it up. And so you wind up having a two or three days off between shows.
0: Totally. Do you like doing a run or do you, would you rather be like at home and just fly for night single nights and
1: stuff? No, I like doing a run. Yeah. I mean, if, if we have the option to fly home, I always do it, but then you're just like, you never get a good night's sleep. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you're sort of out of it at home and then you're out of it at the show. And um, so, yeah, I, I kind of like if we're going to be gone, I, I just like being gone.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Kind of get just don't like being gone too much. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. I know. It's great. I'm sure like for me too, after doing the tour for a long time, now it feels so nice to be home. Whereas like we were saying when you were a kid and just the dream was to be on the road for as long as possible. And at some point in your life, that probably flip-flopped with having kids and stuff.
1: It's funny. Yeah. I almost can't believe it myself, how much of a homebody I am, you know, versus what my life was twenty five years ago, or something, you know what I mean? But that's what happens when you have kids. Like, it just your focus totally shifts. I was, you know, like the cliche "sleep till noon or one every day" kind of musician dude for for a long time, and and then you have kids, and that's just not an option anymore. And and you are up at when they're up, so whatever time that is, you are up in the dark, and and you are going, and so you know you then you are asleep at nine o'clock or whatever, you know, you just. That's it. It's funny now because now when I go on tour, that's like the hardest part. It's like, oh, fuck, I got to stay up till one in the morning. Really? For <laughs> you, sure. you know, yeah. like oh. if we could play it like six at night, I'd be like, let's go. <laughs> totally.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so you're playing Santa Barbara here the next couple of nights. That'll yeah. be fun with your with your band. Yeah. When did
1: you start doing that? Well, we st- this is the third, this is officially the third year in a row, um, at doing it at Soho, but I actually did a sort of a smaller version of it the year before at my friend's bar out in Goleta. Um, so, and that sort of, that was the first year that I was like, man, we should turn this into like an annual thing, you know, cause it's just great. Like, you know, I, I, we have a place up in Santa Barbara, but, but I don't spend as much time up there as I would like, you know, um. And it's just good to have a reason to to just be anchored for around the holidays up there, you know? Yeah, for sure. And, and we always kind of wind up being up there around this time of year. So, And it's just nice because, you know, all my friends have moved away and live all over. And then I got my friends that are still there and everything. And it's just a good, like, it's just a good excuse to get everybody together and see friends. And, and the shows have kind of grown and evolved over the last few years. And, and so we're doing it two nights this year. And with a great... Pretty stacked lineup, you know, like with, with some old friends and some new friends and, um, yeah, I'm stoked. I just found out last night that they both sold out. Sick. That's so always nice when you, it's kind of the goal, sell it out in advance, you know? Heck yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I'm fired up. Takes the edge off. In. Now you can just relax and, and enjoy it, you know? Yeah.
0: And you've been doing like kind of a solo gig for about the same time, like three years now.
1: Yeah. For it's, longer. It's, it's been, it's, I mean, I started doing a thing called I had a band called Jackson United years ago that was um that was kind of a solo thing, but it was like I just didn't want to call it Chris Schifflet or whatever because I'd like I don't know I just didn't I just, you know it's, yeah, like, yeah. it and just I felt it. like weird yeah and the, and the, and then and but over time, I sort of realized like like um just how hard it is to keep a band together when it's not full time. And also like, you know, at a small level, you know. Um, and so at a certain point, I ch- just started calling my stuff that I was doing sort of outside of Foos, just started calling it my own name. And then and the lineup sort of shifts. Um, although the, the, the guys that I've been playing with now, we've been playing together for a while. Um, so yeah, it's it's been something that's just kind of like uh, evolved, you know, and, and, and sometimes I go out and do it, just me and an acoustic guitar. Sometimes we've done it as just me and my drummer, you know. Last year, because everybody in my band got COVID, oh no! (laughs) So we were like, "What are we gonna do?" Yeah, we didn't want to cancel it. So, um, luckily, that is not happening this year. It will be the full, full strength band. Nice. Yeah,
0: and it's rad. I mean, it's such a departure from what you're playing in the Foo Fighters. Yeah, and what I was kind of curious because, like, you grew up. I mean, like, no use for a name. All like most of your bands were more like rooted in rock and roll and punk rock and then yeah. you're in the foos. So what point did you get into more country music and blues and that sort of stuff?
1: I always loved old music. You know, I was, I've always been drawn, um, to old, like, you know, fifties rock and roll and sixties rock and roll and stuff like that. That especially the, the fifties stuff, you know, the early rockabilly stuff was pretty similar to, to, um, country music at that time it was kind of born out of country music, really like that, that early, early stuff. um, And, uh, and, but it was when I was in no use for a name was actually Tony from no use for a name was the guy that really hipped me to like a lot of the, the, um, like uncle Tupelo and and bands like that. And that was kind of where I sort of started. And then it just spread out from there in, in every direction, like went back and sort of got into just all the obvious stuff, you know, Johnny Cash, you know, Hank Williams, you know, all the, the, the old school classic country, um, and worked my way through all those kind of eras: and Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and Waylon and Hank Jr. Just all the stuff, you know, Keith Whitley and um, and and at the same time, all the sort of evolving Americana stuff, you know, Jason Isbell and Sturgill Simpson, just all that stuff. Chris Stapleton, like I just I love all that. Lucinda Williams and there's so many so many great artists, and that has just just became something you know i not like when i got into surfing you know it was like you where you just kind of go all in on something You know, just go deep dive i want to find out okay i love steve earl well who did steve earl listen to he listened to towns vans out well now mm-hmm. i gotta go check that out well who is he <laughs> listening to and just keep kind of diving deeper and deeper into it and um and that has more and more over the years influenced this the sort of the the music that i make
0: Yeah, so, i could relate to I well the first like, well, I've always loved old music, too. My dad, like, grew up just playing 99.9 and it was all, like, a 95.9. So it was all, like, classic rock. And so I just gravitated straight towards that. And I remember, like, when I started playing, the first band that I really was of the Stones and the Allman yeah. Brothers. Oh, man. And so I did yeah. that. I was like, okay, well, the Stones, like, well, who'd they? Oh, Grand Parsons, you know? Oh, right. Grand Parsons, you know? And it was yeah. like, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> that, that, yeah. and
1: that was a huge influence because I grew up with the Stones and I didn't think of that era, like Exile and Main Street. so I don't, I didn't listen to those records thinking it was like country music. Country music. Understanding that connection. But I kind of got that later and same deal. Like, well, who's Graham Parsons? And like. Oh, what was great? And you know, you listen to some of that old Graham Parsons recordings. You're like, oh, he's doing a George Jones song. Well, what's who's George Jones? You yeah. know, like you just yeah, it's just it just the tentacles just go forever.
0: Yeah, music's so cool like that. I know it's so fun.
1: Totally. And all the and all the stuff too that, you know, like you said, Allman Brothers like Skinner and just all all that stuff, It's so steeped in in country and blues and rock and roll. It's just like it's all in there. Yeah. There's there's I always think, like, there isn't that much distance between all those genres, except for guitar tone. Totally. You know what I mean? It's like, to make it a little crunchier, it becomes ACDC, lighten it up a little, it becomes, you know, it becomes Buck Owens or something. It's, but yeah. it's all kind of rooted in the same stuff.
0: For sure. Yeah, it's, so, it's such simple, good music, and it's crazy. I trip out on it, because... Well, it seems like that whole genre, like of kind of, I don't, some people ask me what kind of music I can. I don't really know what to call it, but like you mentioned Sturgill and um, like Jason Isbell, um, like Tyler Childers. Yeah, I've awesome. been listening to Turnpike Troubadours a lot. Yeah, yeah. Their new album I really like. But um, it's rad to see like that all kind of coming back, but also how new artists can make music out of something that's so basic and been around for so long, but it's yeah. still... Like, you still want to hear it. You're not like, I've already heard this, you know? Yeah. I find that super interesting.
1: Well, that's kind of like when that first Sturgill record came out, you know, where it's like, how is this dude able to take these same three chords that have been, you know, it's like you've heard that chord progression so many times and make it sound fresh and brand new. And I, you know, I mean, that's kind of the magic of of, yeah. of music, you know? That's that's like the, the beauty of it. It's like the hard part, too, mm-hmm. you know?
0: And the motion, the storytelling, yeah, it's like everyone puts their own twist on it.
1: The lyric and every, the whole thing. You know? uh, yeah, It's so fun.
0: Do you have, are you a Fender or Gibson guy? Or? I have a Fender signature model. Yeah. Actually. I yeah. thought that, but then I noticed yeah. at the show you played at Les Paul quite a bit.
1: Well, I, yeah, it's, I, I, I play, I kind of play everything. Yeah. Um, and, and it's funny that I wound up being, having a Fender signature model because my only guitar that I had grown up was a Les Paul. Yeah. And that was just that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, no, I sort of, as I got more into like, you know, there was a point where I started getting more into Telecasters and stuff. And, um, and then my signature model was kind of born out of that. Like I want to have a Telecaster that's like works in the Foo Fighters. So it's yeah. got to have hot pickups and humbuckers yeah. and, and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah so but fender doesn't like they're not like you can only play our stuff you know like it was, that was one of the first things they ever said to me when we were putting together like play whatever you want but just you know if, if you can work this in it's here and there yeah that'd be cool too totally. that's yeah. so
0: funny it's so different than surfing like if i had a signature surfboard and i went over to <laughs> someone else and gotten more boards they're all, what are you doing.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, well, fully hey, exclusive. I, I watch how surfers get paid. So I, uh-huh. I know all about those things now. Um,
0: that shows pretty good.
1: It is really interesting. I love all that. Like, I mean, I think that's like the beauty of so much sort of like podcasting and modern, you know, whatever your content stuff you want to call it. It's like to get that kind of inside baseball stuff on, on something you don't have any personal experience in. That's like, that's why people like all that. I think like probably most of the people that watch my guitar show aren't guitar players. You know what I mean? It's just like hearing people that are maybe have some expertise or whatever in, in whatever subject it is kind of go, go deep into the weeds on it.
0: Totally. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's, I always think about that, you know, like 15, 20, even when I was a kid, like grown up surfing, you didn't know anything about these people that you idolized except oh, yeah. for maybe like you'd get a magazine be like oh wow look at that yeah. oh kelly said that or oh andy this or that you know and totally. now with social media and podcasts and youtube and this and that i mean there's so much out there you feel like you can know someone without even ever meeting them totally
1: totally i mean that's like you know what your heroes had for lunch that day <laughs> as opposed to like you know when i was a kid it, being into music if you were into like it's something that was even remotely underground. You know, you never even knew what those people looked like half the time, unless there was a picture on the record or, you know, if they happened to come through your town. Um, it was all like, it, in a weird way, and I don't want to be like grandpa yelling at people on, on the lawn or whatever, you know, like that thing. But there, that, there was a mystery to that that is like, it's kind of sad that that's gone now. Yeah, you
0: know? like that mystique I feel yeah. like is,
1: you know, it is a little... But I'm like as big an offender as anybody because I'm like <laughs> posting on my Instagram all the time, like hey, I'm in the van, yeah. you know, like so, so yeah. What um, because I'm kind of a
0: nerd, I guess, when it comes to music and like going all in. What are you playing mostly these days, gear wise?
1: Ooh, that's a big question. <laughs> so there's in there's my Foo Fighter rig, and then there's the rig that I have in, in my solo thing, and they're and they're quite different. Um, in Foo's, I've got uh, a big amp. Setup up where it's basically like uh I have a uh Friedman two Friedman half stacks which is like the BE whatever it is the brown eye head. Friedman okay, um, I've never even heard it's of It's basically Friedman. it's 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 like a kind of a boutique Marshall Okay. Like, more or less you know it's that it's in that family of guitar tone you know like a revved up Marshall and then so AB between that and an AC30 that are okay. also two half stacks um so I bounced between those and then um and I have a, uh, I had Dave Friedman build me this sick pedal board that um, with an R J M switcher that's amazing. And so, uh, gosh, God, I don't even know what's on my pedal board in in, in these days. But there is definitely like a Clon on there, and um, you know, just all the bells and whistles you would, you know, flanger, phaser, lots of delays, all all that stuff. Um, and guitar wise, it's um, you know, I play my signature model a lot, my Fender. And then the sort of fancy version of that that they made for me as well,
0: which is I noticed when you were playing, to, not to cut you off, but because uh, we we're talking about Les Pauls, and then you wanted a Fender that you could sort of model. So it's got twin, it's got two um, humbuckers on it, huh?
1: The the production version has two humbuckers. Then there's like a sort of a, a, a master built version of it that has uh, two um, uh, P90s. Okay, yeah. So now I started using a lot of guitars with P90s in the last, I don't know. 10 years or so. I just, I like, I like the way those pickups sound. I especially like it in foos because Dave and Pat generally are playing humbuckers. And so it's kind of a nice little way to cut a little different, you know? Um, so, and then I did, I I bought like earlier this year, I just bought like a vintage BC rich mockingbird. That is fucking great. Like a guitar that I've sort of dreamed about for a long time and finally got, got my hands on one of those. I've been playing that. Um, my I lots of Les Pauls, Explorers, Flying Vs, 335s, like just all that stuff, you know? Sick. Yeah. Um, in my solo thing, I've just last night was the first night that I've ever played with it, but I got this uh, neural quad cortex amp simulator that is mind blowing, dude. You can't believe all the sound that's in this thing. It's just insane. So that's been really fun to to mess around with. I had been using a Strymon iridium and play and, and just set it up on my pedal board with all my pedals now I'm I've, I've got this other thing where it's all in this little unit just a small little contained unit and it just sounds Ridiculous and I mostly play telecasters like traditional telecasters with like a single coil cool um, So I've got like a like a blackguard custom shop one, and then this funky Paisley one that that I, I play mostly in that I've seen and that one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that one's cool. I actually just bought a real one of those. Oh, an yeah, actual sixty-eight. Oh, no yeah, way. Yeah, but I'm afraid to take it on the van tour because. Yeah. I'm Afraid it's going to get hurt, but I, I think I'm going to have to throw it in the van for one of these things. But and, and sometimes I'll bust out. I just started playing my Les Paul, in my in my solo thing too because I love the way a Les Paul sounds when you're playing like, country, you know. Either country or country rock kind of stuff sure. it sounds great on a list, Paul.
0: What amps are you playing mostly on the solo gig?
1: Well, that's I I in that Quad Cortex thing. It's I it's really interesting because I have it set up where every song I program a preset oh, with. It's so going I can, over my technical I know it's brand. going over my technical <laughs> brain. I believe you me. I have a couple friends that I have to call like every day. I'm like, how how do you do X Y Z? But um, I'm slowly figuring it out. So every song is a preset right and then within that you can have scenes where you you know set it up like intro verse chorus solo wow. right? so then you can kind of like you know maybe for the intro you have a boost on and then for the verse you put a phaser on and so you can do these kind of like scene changes within the song which is amazing crazy and so i've i've pretty much mostly rely on the same stuff like when i go out and tour with a real amp I'm usually bringing either a deluxe reverb or a Princeton reverb, you know, for my solo thing. One of those things. Sometimes I've, I'll use like a Vox AC-15 or something like that, but it's always something in that sort of range. So with this quad cortex thing, he would use them all. Like I'll, for one song, I'll have it be a deluxe reverb for the next song. It's a Princeton for the next song. It's a Marshall Plexi for the next song. It's a matchless, you know what I mean? And it's this a,
0: is a super stupid question. <laughs> Do you even
1: need an amp for that or can you just no, run it straight through? You can run it straight through. I'm right now I'm using a little powered speaker on stage cause it's a Whoa. little weird cause I've done it without anything coming off the stage. Yeah, And I feel like the people right down front are maybe not being served well with that because if you think about it, when you're right in front of the stage, the PA speakers are kind of out here. Totally, and maybe you're not getting enough, enough guitar and bass. So we're we're experiment, we're, we're kind of trying to work that out. And last night, no joke, last night in Templeton at this place was the first time we ever used this setup, and um and it was great. It seemed to work really well. It sounded great wow. from what from what I could tell by the you know Instagram videos. Yeah. <laughs> um, does it which, feel different like to not be standing in front of an amp that's like we like it like, well, pushing the thing. air behind you? It does, but we're all on in-ears. Oh. So it's like being beamed right into your brain. It's weird. It's definitely... And there's a lot of people debate this. Like, like if it was... If I had the the means for my solo thing... You know, my solo thing operates at a very small level. You know? So I'm up there connecting cables and just, just kind of di- more DIY. Because it's not like it's a big thing with a big budget and a totally. huge crew and all that stuff. So I'm always... Uh, like I'm try, I try to keep it streamlined and I try to keep it like, cause it's going to be me humping it in and out of the van. So I just want it to be as simple. It's getting a little, not very simple right now to be perfectly honest. Like, cause this, that's just one part of it. Then we have like this track rig and we just got this new, like in-ear monitor rig where we control our in-ears ourselves. And there's like a, just a, an, an insane amount of, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's not very simple anymore, but um, so that's, that's what we really need. We need a guy to, uh, to operate all that stuff but the reason that i do that is because of exactly that like playing like you're playing in different venues all the time and very different setups and there's no consistency with it and that's the thing that drives me nuts especially on in-ears and i love in-ears for singing like if i gotta sing i want to be on in-ears because it just helps a lot Um, but it's that every night the 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 power hitting your amp different the local front of house person sending it different and EQing it different and all that thing. And it's and it would drive it just drives me crazy to not what I really want at my old age is consistency. You know what I mean? Um and that's what those things give you. Like the AMP simulator. It's like you know it's like it's gonna be the same freaking thing. A ton of control. A ton of control. And to make it exactly where you want it to be. Um and and then and then it just to have that range of like you could literally from song to song, part to part, have it be just about any sound you That's want. It's crazy. Yeah. And
0: dialed in already to how you want it. And yeah. Boom, by the yeah. click of a button.
1: And but it's funny with all the tech stuff, there is like you have there's like this muscle memory thing that you have to then learn. And like I don't have that part of it wired at all, man. I had some crazy crazy flounders last night just <laughs> epic flound. like turning off the amp accidentally on the, oh, fo- yeah. the wrong foot switch and just all that kind of stuff man there's like with every new thing there's like you then it's funny because i've i've got you know i've been playing in bands since i was 14 so i've like you know whatever that at 40 years almost of 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 like muscle memory around that. And when things go wrong, you have your ways, your, know well-worn ways of dealing with different situations, and you add this new tech stuff into it and all that goes out the window. So when Which something goes wrong, I you're I like, hear. I, you're like lost. You know yeah. what I mean? It's almost like you're like a beginner again. Like, ah, what do I do? It's just, yeah, exactly. Just start kicking stuff.
0: Oh, man. Hope it works. Classic. What are yeah. you going to use at the Santa Barbara shows? I'm going to use that stuff. Yeah. Cool. yeah. yeah I'm yeah. fired up to hear yeah. it.
1: Don't worry I have a real amp for you. You don't have to deal with any of that stuff.
0: Oh man, I know it's yeah. just the tiny bit that I've like played little gigs or or jumped up for songs with people. Yeah. I I'd trip out on that too. It's like my, wait, my amp sounded like that at home. And I had, I had this tone that I liked and then I put it on a stage next to someone else's amp. I'm like, Oh, it doesn't work anymore. Oh dude. Yeah. It's like that tone that I liked. Yeah. It's just out
1: the window. Oh yeah. When you have a, a, a other musician, other sounds coming and then just different rooms and then the difference between the way it sounded at soundcheck and the way it sounds when the room is full of people. It's like, yeah,
0: everyone starts turning up a little bit or like the guy puts you low in the mix. You can't even hear yourself anymore. It's crazy. It's
1: it's funny. Even with this, this, that quad cortex thing I was talking about, like I dialed in all the tones on headphones at my kitchen table, not realizing that it's totally different in the room. And like my Foo Fighter guitar tech, Mark was like, oh no, dude, you got to do that with the headphones off. You got to have like a powered speaker and hear what it sounds like in the room. And he was so right. Like it's so different. Yeah, because cool. you tend to go to like way too wet and then you have way too much reverb on everything And then you play it in the room and, and it's you just, just get like lost. Soup, in huh? Yeah, exactly It less is always better with a lot of like delays and and I mean depending on what the genre and what you know what you're going for yeah. Um, But yeah for like rock music. It's 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 real easy to Have way too much reverb and delay and stuff and just get real washy Totally. You know? Yeah, cool
0: Oh yeah, Chris. Well, thanks so much. I guess we should. uh, I wanted to let people know where they can find everything that you're up to too, because I know you got the
1: Shred with Shifty. Yeah. So your sh- podcast. Yeah. So Shred with. So I'm not really doing walking the floor these days. Okay. Um, I kind of put that on. I don't like to think of it as being over. Just maybe on hiatus for a while, because this Shred with Shifty thing is taking up. Like all my time, basically, right now it's like uh, in a good way, but it's um, but I can't really do both at the same time. Um, so there's Shred with Shifty, which you can find on volume.com/slash Shifty. Um, I have a pretty new album out called Lost at Sea that's you know wherever you stream music, and um, and then doing shows here and there. And then, you know, with Foos, we've got like we're like maybe halfway through touring the new record, something like that. So we've got through well into next year of of lots and lots of shows coming up so there's all that stuff too epic yeah cool and then you can find me at uh, hammond's or Rincon emma wood <laughs> with connor here yeah, paddle blocking for surf. me <laughs> hopefully we're yeah. surfing around give me Christmas. some pro tips
0: <laughs> Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks, dude. Thanks so much for coming on oh, and dude. being the guinea pig. Yeah, I really appreciate it. hope I didn't drive you me. nuts oh, asking no, it was too many great. dumb questions. Yeah, it was so good. Super fun. Thank yeah. you. Thanks, buddy.
1: Yeah, right on.
2: Surfing and your coverage of it in season three of Lost Hills added just an extra layer of the personal for you. So, can you tell us about how you yourself got into surfing? I have a beginner's mind for it. Like, It's definitely opened up a whole different sense of even living in Los Angeles for me. Like, I'm not sure that I would still be there if I hadn't found the water as a kind of really essential part of my life there. Hello, everyone. I'm Dave Prodan, host of the World Surf League's premier podcast, The Lineup with Dave Prodan. And you've just heard an excerpt from our interview with Dana Goodyear, the award-winning journalist and host of her own excellent Lost Hills podcast from episode 160. At The Lineup, we endeavor to have deep conversations with as diverse a cast of characters from the surfing world as we can. Listen to the full interview with Dana and more on The Lineup with Dave Prodan wherever you get your podcasts.